Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Lawrence, tell me what your work is about in the world of co-parenting, children. Is that where we're at with you and your topic? You you are there. There is a connection to co-parenting and and uh, divorce and children, and it's really about emotional and spiritual um, centering and coming home. So you can have all those different kind of relationships, and you can navigate all those different kinds of areas. Yeah. Talk to me more about this. Is parental alienation part of this discussion? Parental alienation is part of this discussion, and and it's a tent and a name that we gather under, and it's it's a pretty diverse and big tent. So a lot of people are coming in through alienation, some through estrangement, some through just disconnection, confusion, whatever it is. And we happen to call it parental alienation and use that as a tent, but it's different for different people and divisive for some people and useful for other people. So, yes. Okay, this is now even more interesting to me because I've done... A couple interviews on parental alienation. And first of all, they're heartbreaking to say the least. And in the last interview I did, I was surprised and, 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 but, and fascinated with the fact that the alienation started while still married. It didn't start as a result of the divorce. The divorce was a result of what this gentleman was seeing as alienation uh, initiated by his wife between him and his two children. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's a lot of people's experiences. And if people dig in a little bit further in my experience, it goes back much further than that. Like I was predisposed being attracted to my ex-wife because of my relationship with my mother like i had the wiring confused of what love was who's nurturing who i pick a partner that has that same system in place and then we co-create a family and i'm responsible too and then there's additional trauma or overlying generational constructs or whatever that create this break and, and and lead to the parental alienation so it's really complex and deep and some people might take a short view and my view is very very wide and very very deep I take it you've experienced parental alienation. Yes, I, I'm living. I'm living it. You know, I'm like experiencing it, living it, navigating it, and it's about every relationship in my life where people want to hyper focus that it's about the parental alienation, but it's really about how I navigate the world. And part of my world is I'm struggling with parental alienation. So the the um, organization that I started is really about. It's kind of like the zero step, I call it. It's a step before the attorneys, the therapists, before everything. It's about people finding their way home so they build some resiliency and some resources so they can go out and, and have these important relationships and navigate the system in a, in a more meaningful way versus just fragmented and reactive and, you know, just really broken in some degrees like I was. Very interesting the responsibility that you just took globally, kind of your life being your world. And so globally, you just 
took responsibility for the formation of relationships in general. And then since this is a divorce podcast, you know, bringing this into my world of co-parenting and all the issues that come up with it. So may I ask, thank you for for starting that way, because now this is a different type of conversation. We've started differently, and I like this. You were a child of divorce, I take it? No, I never experienced divorce, knew nothing about divorce, never entered my reality as even a possibility. Then Everyone- tell, okay, I'm so, then tell me about the wiring of your mother and how your that relationship affected other relationships. So my mom was anxious, had a hard time having relationships. My dad was a type A personality that she had to give a lot of energy to. So when she got pregnant in vitro preverbal, instead of the limbic attunement coming from the parent to the child, the child becomes the surrogate to soothe the parent because they're not equipped to soothe themselves. So they're blowing their trauma and their unresolved feelings through the child. And that's the attachment disorder. And then you carry that out into your life and you keep looking to repeat that. And you think those relationships are love. So I pick a wife that that felt like what love was, was really, really intense because it was just familiar. It wasn't really deep love. It was really deep familiarity. And then you start unpacking that and you create this situation that's going to just reproduce everything that, that you were raised with. And then we have all these divorces, including, including mine, you know? Yeah, you know, Lawrence, I kind of think we're screwed. <laughs> and no matter which way we slice it, this world, I'll, I'll give you my worldview for a second and, and see how this fits with your worldview. It's so easy to think life is unfair. It's so easy. Shit happens. And I didn't do anything. What did I do wrong? I've just been doing the best I can. And and more than likely, yes, why do these things keep happening? There's no, well, there are a few books out there that talk about what to look for, signs to look for to indicate you should not get married and signs you should. But there are very few and far between. So I think we all kind of do what you did. We base our evaluation of relationships on what we grew up with, right? Totally, 100%. And that's either right or wrong, because in my very long life, it's been a very long life, in my very long life, I think I can count on one hand really wholesome family relationships. They really don't exist, do they? Have you found that most of us are kind of screwed up? Yeah, I I think it's really challenging coming back to the family of origin system and trying to drink water and finding that you're just dying of thirst all the time. I don't think we can get a lot of those needs met. Like we have to create a family of choice to meet those needs, you know, which is, is what I hear you saying is like, hey, my family can't meet me where I am, and that's it's kind of a little bit lonely, and I can only count on one hand the real relationships that feel meaningful. Yes, so I, I agree 100%. And I, and I think a huge part of that is me working on my own interior ecosystem, so I no longer need someone to show up under the title of mother or father or wife or sister, because there's unrealistic expectations from movies and 
God knows where they were trying to place on other human beings and it just doesn't work. No, no, it really doesn't. And so the only way I could say, wait a minute, how how can life be fair and just? Because it's got to be or what's the point? And so what I came to is, well, if this world is a teaching world, if what if what comes into our lives is what we need to learn and grow, then all of a sudden it becomes right and just from each of our points of view. Totally. Yeah. It's a, it's a both and world. It's not an either or, like everyone is having their, a lived reality and their own perception. So we have to include all of that in the conversation and not being in, not being these polar, polarized opposite camps because nothing happens if we're sitting in those polarized opposite camps. And I will say this, I was sitting on a meditation retreat one time and the gentleman leading the treats said the word fair is a made up construct in the Western world that doesn't exist. So that that's my my take on the word fair. Like we hear a lot of people say this isn't fair, and and I like that it's a made up construct. At least that's a story that I bought into, and it, it is like yeah, we all have a part to play in everything, and there's always some some medicine for us in every situation. Well, interestingly enough, in this morning, I recorded a podcast episode myself to be aired on Wednesday, and I do a lot of them myself now. Um, it's just a different vibe and kind of a different approach this year as opposed to the other four years. The podcast was on how to negotiate spousal support and child support. People do it very poorly. They do it emotionally and it, it's so difficult to try and negotiate a settlement while you're still emotional and grieving and trying to make sense of this big change that's happened in your life. And so I said, uh, I was giving tips on how to mediate spousal support. And I said, do not use the word fair at all. Fair is a fighting word and it's very subjective. What is fair to you is not fair to the other person. And don't use the word obligated because then that makes the other person become defensive when you're talking to the potential pay or of spousal support. You must come from a position of logic and money. That's all we do. It's a budget. It's about money. It's about need. Let's look at your budget. Let's look at his or her budget, depending on who we have here in this couple. And especially if it's a woman talking to a man, you need to understand how men process information. And they're not going to process emotionally. And if you cry during the mediation because it's not fair, He'll cave right then and there in the mediation. And then 24 hours later, it'll change. It's not going to stick. You need to, you need to understand the language of negotiation. And there is a certain language to it. And so that's really great that fair came up because it just came up uh, again this morning with me. And, and, and I really ask everybody. And when I understood that years ago, that the word fair was a fighting word and it was a subjective word and it had no place in a negotiation. And I said to people talking about spousal support, and then we're going to get to child co-parenting. Uh, for spousal support, I said, just discuss the reason why you're asking for it. 
What are your logic points behind it? I'll give you an example. Um, I can now not afford to live in the area where we're now living, which is close to both of our jobs. Now that you've asked for a divorce, I have to move miles away to live with my mother to keep this job, which I really like and has potential. My budget is X. I need Y. This is why we're talking about solved in a minute because it was it, it it ceased becoming emotional it was black and white it was numbers mm. yeah, that makes a lot of sense now let's go to child support and the co-parenting schedule which is where all the issues with children lie so first of all what's the name say the i mean it's disappeared parents right this organization that you have so the actual overarching organization is, is Parental Alienation Advocates. And then we have several doors. And one of the doors is the Family Disappeared podcast. Where we're actually, okay, I get it now. I get it. One of the doors is that. And then we also have another door, which I started a new 12-step meeting, which I based on Al-Anon family groups as a support group for everyone that's struggling with this. And whether it's in divorce, whether it's in custody, whether it's not having access to their kids. So we have a 12-step support group, which is based on, again, finding yourself, working on your own stuff, owning your part in different situations, cleaning your side of the street, and becoming more stable and grounded and resourced when you come into the conversations and when you come into the mediation and when you're going through the divorce or you're within the court, it's really, again, it's the zero step before everything else. If you can't find yourself, how are you going to work through any kind of conflict? Oh, this is excellent. Now, this is really, this is really good stuff. This is. Um, how long have you been working in this field in general? So I've been struggling with this in my own family system for about 17 years. Wow. But the first 10 years, I didn't have any kind of definition. So I did all this work beforehand. I did like a two-year somatic teacher training. I did a lot of nonviolent communication. And in nonviolent communication, there's a lot of arbitration and, and negotiating so I, I have that skill and I did a two-year Buddhist chaplaincy program. So I have all these different skills and then I backed in. And when I found the term, everything kind of like fit in a Rolodex. And I started this organization about two and a half years ago. And um, so I've actively been working and advocating and working in the organization and offering free services to everyone because we're a 501c3 nonprofit for the last two in March, March will be our three-year anniversary, and it's it's been miraculous so far. Wow! You don't charge at all. There's zero charge with 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 anything, and we also have this other door, which is foundational training. So we we're teaching parents nonviolent communication, like how do you have a conversation with your ex-spouse, with your child, with whoever, and how can you do it from an empathetic point of view so you can actually create some kind of attunement so you can actually have the conversation versus being reactive and saying fair or saying whatever the trigger words are. So we have all these different foundational trainings that if we want to continue to expand them and make them more available, we have to start fundraising, which is what we just did. But the first couple of years, we had a couple of grants and we we're very fortunate to, to grow this organization. I have like 40 volunteers that are all parents. And then we have some virtual assistants that do some busy work and, and we really are empowering 
there's 40 volunteers and there's maybe like another 50, 60, 70 people that volunteer on the meeting level. So it's peer-to-peer run. People are taking responsibility. People are stepping up. Some people, part of the community, work at nonprofits. So they're helping with the fundraising. Some people have organizational skills. So they're helping. And I'm, I'm kind of building out and architecting what's happening. And we're building it so every single person is replaceable, including myself. So everything can continue to grow. I don't want to be doing this or holding this space forever. It's, it's too much for me personally. And everything needs to be self-regenerative and everything needs to be accessible and everything needs to be inclusive. So there's a lot of moving pieces, but it's all about the family and, and, and building tools. Wow. You know what I would be really interested in attending? Um, professionally, for me professionally, I, I don't have kids, cats, not kids. And they come when I call them. That's the deal. You want me to adopt you? You come. To, I have two rules in my house. You come when I call you, and you're sociable to people who walk in the house. You let them pet you. That's it. Those are the two rules, and then I'll take care of you for the rest of your life. Seeing like a whole clothing line. I'm seeing bumper stickers. Cats not. I love it. I've never heard anyone say that before. Cats I, not I, kids. I've been saying it for years. <laughs> Listen, herding cats? No. When I heard that term herding cats, I said, no, no, no. I have to have cats because I'm out of the house 12 hours a day. I can't walk anybody. Um, uh, so herding is not part of my life. But with my clients, I herd cats. I, that's what I say about my client. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm herding cats. I don't even do it with my own animals. Now I'm doing it with human beings. This is too much to take. <laughs> The communication piece would be so interesting to me to listen to because I've read so many books by Bill Eddy. Does that name ring a bell? E-D-D-Y. I've interviewed him three times on the podcast. I mean, we're all, we're both in Southern California. Well, he's in Arizona now, but when he was in Southern California living and working, um, we would be at the same meetings and things. And his books are incredible about high conflict communication, right? Biff, brief, informative, friendly, and firm. But even with that, there are still these extreme cases where you have to come together. You have to have an ongoing relationship. And that's when you're co-parenting. And God forbid you have infants, you have toddlers, and you're co-parenting, not really until they graduate from high school, till they graduate from college and earn a living. That's when you're, co- so that's an awful long time. So, you know, when you described, and I want you to talk more about this, um, you know, how to not engage in the high conflict conversation, how to mellow it out so that you can have an ongoing conversation. When did you at least have the first steps in mastering this? When did you have your first, okay, maybe it's never mastered, but when did you start having your first success at a different type of communication with mom? That's a great question. And, and, and like you're saying, you don't ever master this and it's all imperfect and you try your best and you continue to work on it like any other muscle and it atrophies if you stop working on it. So, um, you know, about four or five years ago, I re-engaged with, with my ex-wife because we didn't have a lot of connection and I worked with empathy 
And empathy is basically she's saying something, I'm repeating back what she's saying about, oh, wow, yeah, that sounds really hard or that was a rough day. And I'm not taking anything personally. So all that sticky stuff you usually pick up in, in marriage or in relationship, like I wasn't picking that up. And the framework of communication gives me the opportunity to just kind of like step aside and let her have her experience. And I don't have to take anything personally. So I worked with that for a couple of years and we'd meet once a month and we'd spend two, three hours talking and, and, and it was sticky and I was trying to build a bridge so I could have a relationship with my kids. And at a point that it disintegrated, it, it didn't necessarily get anywhere. And what I've come to learn, because the kids are getting older. How, how old are they, Lawrence? Now they're 29, 26, and 22. Okay, how how old were they when you got divorced? My oldest was so it was twelve, nine, and five. Okay, continue going going on. It disintegrated. What happened? Disintegrated. My my middle daughter got married, and I wasn't included or invited or anything. But what I came to realize is I was acquiescing my agency and power by trying to triangulate my ex into a conversation to try build the bridge. Right. So to a degree, it's great to have an open relationship and try and co-parent. But to the other degree, there's a gatekeeper that's the access point for the triangulation for every single conversation. So she has a conversation with me. She disseminates the information. Then she passes it on to the kids through her lens. And it's no longer got anything to do with, with healing. It's just got to do with her own unresolved issues or trauma or lens or all her perfection, like it might be perfect what she's sharing it to. It's just different than mine. So at a point, it just kind of like fell apart. And uh, yeah, I, I find that if the other person's not going to be doing any work, emotional work at a point, like, can you really have a useful conversation that's about healing and growth? Can you have an amicable, an amicable conversation? 100%. But a useful conversation is, is really challenging in that environment. Hmm. So that then begs the question, do you, is there a point when the former spouse who wants to create a better relationship has to absolve themselves of responsibility at a certain point and just say, I tried, there's nothing more I can do. And then just hope for the best when the kids get old enough that you're able to forge a relationship with them. How does this work? So an interesting part about my dynamic is when I married my wife, she was alienated from her father, right? There was no terminology for alienation. She didn't talk to her dad for 10 or 12 years. He wasn't at our marriage. He wasn't at any of the births of any of our daughters. So like this, this existed already. And me as someone marrying her and she's saying, my dad's not a good guy. I'm like, okay, he's not a good guy. And you, you move on. And I don't know if she ever would have got back together with her father. And from the time of 16, she's never spoken to one of her relatives ever again, basically. Maybe a conversation here and there when her dad passed, but she's never re-engaged anyone. And she's 54, 55 now. So like, yeah, it's, it's a really complex system and it, might, and it might never change. And I think the work switches from an, an I-centric and a me-centric point of view to more of a community-centric point of view where I'm being of service and people are able to um, influence the family system in a different way if they're getting this information sooner. 
if I had this information 15 years ago, 17 years ago, 20 years ago, would have I had a different experience? One million percent. So I think that's the work now is how we get this information out to folks that are in the earlier stages and how we support them. And I got to put my kids aside and say, I'm parenting, like I call it parenting without access. I'm continuing to be an apparent. This is my best version of being a parent is having a conversation with you. And I might never get to parent my kids directly. And I'm parenting without access because I think I'm being a great parent in this moment, the way that I'm able to show up. And that's what it's about right this second, you know? What would you have done differently when the divorce started? Uh, had you had the availability of the information and the learning? that you have had access to over the past some years? I, I wouldn't have uh, acquiesced my agency or my power to therapists, to attorneys, to professionals. What I've come to learn is I need to educate myself and then I need to ask for what I need in those relationships so my kids can get the best possible results. Because a lot of therapists, a lot of folks that are out in this field are maxed out, they're stressed, they give you 50 minutes of their time and they move on to the next thing and they don't really care. They're just trying to survive and feed their family. So if I'm not advocating or educated enough on what I actually need and what's actually going on, I'm not doing any service to my kids. I had my five-year-old and my eight-year-old in therapy within months of the, of the separation starting. Like it's a huge part of my world and how I navigate the world is through, you know, personal growth. And the therapist, I took this to the kids to that same therapist on and off for 12 years. You know, and it didn't serve anyone because we weren't really addressing the family system issues because I had no idea what they were. But I was so... Well, it would have been nice if the therapist knew. It would have been wonderful, but it's not the reality. It's not the reality with the therapist, with the attorney, with the judge. Like, we have to advocate for ourselves and, and educate ourselves. Do you think it's not the role of the the therapist because when this took place... Which was how many years ago again? I'm sorry. Um, 17, 17 okay. years ago. Do you think they weren't as educated about the family system and the alienation of anybody within the family system? You know what? I don't think that they're looking for it unless they're trained specifically for this pathology they're just seeing two parents that are having some differences and they're not really digging into some mm. of the relational trauma, some of the stuff that's going on. They're trying to center the kid, but if they don't have enough information, if I'm not bringing that information into the conversation, can they do the best possible job or say I'm in the wrong place? Maybe, you know what I mean? But I'm, yeah. I, I think they're equipped to, to manage this. And, and there's a bunch of information out there where we're trying to educate the, the therapists, where we're trying to educate the judges, where we're trying to educate all the stakeholders. You know what I mean? Because it's just, it's just not available right now. And there's polarizing people on both sides that are using parental alienation, estrangement, anything, and they're trying to weaponize it on both sides of the camp. So we're, we're dealing with all the craziness, and then we're trying to help the larger population. So I want to uh, connect you with somebody who I think uh, might be helpful within your organization. Her name, she's a dear friend of mine. She's a psychotherapist. Her name is Kathy Memel, Dr. Kathy Memel. Um, she teaches the family tree. 
to all of her clients and she does talks on this. Now, not all therapists believe in this. She completely believes that you must go back to how your clients, whoever is in front of her, how your clients grew up. What was their family dynamic? That's how you learn to navigate the world. That's how you make assessments about people, relationships, yourself. And she's one of the few people that every single client that she has for whatever reason, she does a lot of co-parenting mediation, but she does it for attorneys who have very high conflict clients that they can't deal with. They need somebody else to come in and have the conversation they're not set up to have by virtue of they, they do law. They don't do therapy. And um she says there's no way she could ever provide service to anybody unless she knew how they grew up. Yeah, and, and I agree a million percent. And, and I did a two-year teacher training in somatic therapy. And it's a place on Abbott Kinney in Venice is where, where it originated. And uh, by a guy named um, Rosenberg, uh, Jack Rosenberg. And he was an efficiency dentist and he wanted to come up with an efficient, efficiency metal, uh, an efficiency modality for therapy. So he became a therapist. And part of the somatic therapy is they go back generate, generationally on the maternal paternal line and they go back a couple generations and they look at every single relation how and how every single thing is related. It sounds similar to the family tree that she's saying. And for me, that's where I discovered so many of these dynamics, how I was raised related to my mother, how I reproduced that in my relationships, how that went out to the kids and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it sounds like she's doing amazing work and I'd love, I'd love it. And I get the advantage of free advice and free information. So when we have dinner or lunch, I'm like, okay, so here's this case I have. This is what's going on. And before I finish my sentences, she'll say, this is how they grow up. This is how they grow up. I'm like, yes. Oh my God. I didn't get to that point. So with her exceptional guidance and, and follow up conversations, uh, I'll have, I'll get a call and, um, the person I'm talking to, husband or wife, whatever, will say something about the behavior of their spouse and how this is going to be problematic to the divorce. And I'll just say, is, are your, are the parents of your spouse still living? And if the answer is yes, then I will say, did you get to know them very well? prior to the marriage? And are you close with them now? If those answers are yes, then I'll say, do you know what the relationship of your potential spouse or your spouse is when they were growing up? And before I could get that sentence out, the light bulb will go on. They'll know exactly where I'm going. Oh my God, this is why they're the way they are. Because this is the relationship. People will put it together. Yeah. You just have to like give them those keys and all of a sudden now they've broadened their view. So now I say, can this be less about blaming them? And can we go more into understanding how to work with them? At least to get yourselves through this divorce. 
and then let the therapist take it away after that. So yeah, um, people need it. They need that, that backwards view. They need to look in the rear view mirror and they will, because what you need people to do, and I think you're saying the same thing, you need to stop blaming each other. It is what it is. You're in this situation. How are you going to deal with it the best you can? Do you agree or disagree? A hundred percent. Like no one's good or bad or defective here. We definitely have certain things that we bring into the relationship that might not be useful. But if we really want to find a resolution and a path forward, yeah, like we have to put down everything. We have to put down everything and kind of just like figure it out. I, I agree with you. It becomes a, a, a practical conversation versus an emotional conversation if we actually want to get somewhere where we can have some sort of healing. So have you gone from feeling guilty to no longer feeling guilty by any chance in your journey with the divorce and the kids? Um, I made the assumption that you initially felt guilty. Am I wrong? You know what? Initially, I centered my ex-wife in the divorce and I just wanted to do anything to get her back. And the guilt came up when I started to look at some of my behaviors and how I was selfish or not really present or stuff like that. So there was a lot of guilt around that. My guilt around the kids and the family system falling apart. You know, I did a lot of work and I, and I did a lot of things that I think were really useful for the family so that I could look myself in the mirror, look at my kids, and they could know that I showed up in every possible way that I could. And the caveat is, is that I don't know what I don't know until I do know that. So as the years have gone by, I still see places where I left a mess and that, that I need to own that mess. And I'm, I'm, I'm very open and able to do that. So there's, there's, there's not a lot of guilt. There is, um, you know, I would say the, the main residue is sometimes is, 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 is expecting the kids to be able to decipher this at, at 20, 18, 16, 22, 28, with their minds not fully developed, like critical thinking only fully develops in the early 30s. I only really? started only in the early 30s. The mind, the brain, 26, 27, but critical thinking early 30s. And that's when you see a lot of people's lives start to shift and move. Like mine started at 36 was when everything kind of started falling apart. And then I actually was able to start looking at myself through a completely different lens that wasn't the lens of the family system. But that's, that's, yeah, like that, like I, I think some of the residue is just, is just having, wanting my kids to be different and maybe having some energy and pressure on them to be different where it wasn't their job to be anything but where they were until that changes, you know? So I, I think that's the, the one part that I still struggle with is how much to say, when not to say it, you know, mm -hmm. when, when too much, I'm not sure. Um, <clears throat> the people that participate in your programs, um, either working in them or um, being participants and learning. Um, do they, what are their goals? So, so everyone comes in with the same goal is give me my kid back. I want access to my children. Like I want to get through this. I, I want something to be fair. 
know, everyone comes in with the same thing. And for me, when I started working on myself, like I just wanted to figure it out. I wanted to fix it because we fix stuff. And then I wanted to stick my head back in the sand and never really address any of the systemic issues because I didn't even know what a systemic issue was. So that I would say is what most people come in. They just want a solution. They want that pill. They want to take it. And then they just want to go back to the life that they're living and then stay within their own dysfunction, you know, and people are all over the spectrum. But the neat part is you track someone that's just really fragmented and all over the place and you see them starting to do work on themselves and work in the steps or doing some other work within the organization, you see the light start to come on and their lens switches from this is my world so tiny. It's only about if my kid says hello or, or some other kind of communication to me with, oh, like I have a life too. Oh, I can live a rich and meaningful life and have a relationship with my kids. Like they stop identifying with just their child being their life. You know, so there's, there's this whole metamorphosis that kind of like happens and it's a slow wake and it's a bunch of work. So a lot of people in the 12 step door don't necessarily want to do this interpersonal work and they get relief by just being around a group of people that are talking the same language that are going to court that are dealing with an acrimonious divorce that are getting some custody but there's still that parental stuff going back and forth and they need to learn how to communicate so they're learning a lot of that on a lower level within the organization and they still need to get professional help where, where we're indicated you know do you think people, once they go from being kids to adults with their own kids, not cats, <laughs> the opposite of me. Um, did you ever think or do you think now, probably not now, that they should understand that if it was a parent who was putting the wedge between the kids and the other parent. Is there ever a point when they wake up the kids, adults, and self-reflect and want to investigate for themselves if that was true? Do they reach out to the alienated parent you know, it does happen sometimes, and the research is really fascinating. Um, Dr. Amy Baker did some research on this, and it's, it's in her book where she says it's harder to get out of this family system than to leave a cult. Because, you know, your whole nervous system is indoctrinated, and if you're leading the cult and you're showing me love, when you remove that love, I go into anxiety and fear and shutdown, so I need to get your love back, so I need to be connected with you, and that's kind of what the... The, the emotional wiring looks like in when, when there's this enmeshment codependency um, alienation happening is the child is relying on the parent's nervous system to tell them how to behave. And if they remove themselves from that, the kid starts to shut down and, you know, anxiety, drugs, eating disorders, you know, all kinds of behaviors show up. And, um, yeah, I can't even remember your question, but I went somewhere. <laughs> Do the kids ever wake up one day and say, well, wait a minute, maybe what mom or dad told us about our other parent wasn't really true, you know, because after you have your own experiences in life, you kind of look back on your past sometimes, if you want to have self-awareness, 
you kind of look back on your past and say, hmm, maybe that didn't make so much sense. I mean, divorce is such a big event in everybody's life. Parents and children alike, even pets. There is pet custody. Um, so nobody gets custody of my animals. Um, but so I just wonder, mostly because I did an interview with a, a woman in her, I think she was in her late 20s maybe 30. She was from Greece. So I was interviewing her from her home in Greece. And uh, she had written a book on what it was like to be a child of divorce. And she wrote it from the child's perspective because she took notes when she was a kid and her mother alienated the father. Her mother never stopped crying. Father went on, had a life and said, I'm here when you need me, but I can't deal with your mother. So I'm here when you need me. I've always been here when you needed me. You have to come to me and I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever I can as your dad. So she wrote the book about, um, what it was like as a child of divorce. And she was saying that her mother never, that first of all, she never remembers a good relationship in the house ever, 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 ever as a kid. And then when they got divorced, her mother spent all of, her mother's time speaking disparagingly about her father. And so she felt that she needed to protect her mother who seemed very fragile to her. And her dad seemed very strong because whenever they had communication, he was in a basket case and he wasn't speaking disparagingly, disparagingly about mom. Um, he was just talking to his daughter. And so she, decided that she needed to reconnect with her dad. It had to be her to him because he said he was always there. You're always welcome in my home. I never left you. But in order to give you a calmer life, I could not keep being in relationship with your mother in a co-parenting relationship because your mother was unreachable. Her, you, her, you could, and, and the daughter understood, yes, I saw my mother was unreachable and I thought I had to protect her. And so I, that's why I wondered um, if kids will search out the parent that they didn't get to spend very much time with at a certain point. 100%. And we see relationships coming back together all the time. And, and the program is also for young adults and kids and adults that were alienated from their parents. So at some meetings, we have parents and we have children that are working on themselves too. They might be in their 30s, 40s, 50s or whatever that are doing that interpersonal work because they are recultivating a relationship or maybe they're cultivating a relationship with a parent that's has passed. But we have mm -hmm. some wonderful stories and starting in 2024, we're going to have meetings specifically just for young folks or adults or older adults that are in that space so they can have a private infinity group where they're working on them, their self, where we don't have these crossovers because they are definitely a minority in the meetings. And when people do come through, they don't stick around very long because they don't necessarily have their own affinity space. But we have a, a couple of great members that are alienated parents and were alienated children that are going to lead up some of the new meetings. So that should be really um really healing and really, really interesting. My God, there's a lot of depth here. I, I mean, this is really amazing what you're doing. 
that's incredible. The people are amazing. The opportunity is amazing. And there's so many stakeholders that they need help. And we feel like we're really cognizant, the step parents, the children, the other family members, you know, there's, there's so much complexity going on and, uh, yeah. And, and, and we're very agile and new and we make a lot of mistakes as an organization, but we also offer a lot of great resources and, uh, and because we are agile and, uh, really in a creative space, we're definitely tapping into a lot of different things. And most folks and most professionals are like kind of like in this polarized opposite and also um, in the consumption space. Well, we're not in the consumption space. So we're just in the service providing space as long as we can. So it really offers a nice entrance point for for folks that might not have resources too. So it's it's very exciting and no one knows what's going to happen next. So it's it's very spacious too. Okay. This is great. This is really great. What would you like to bring forward that I haven't asked or explored yet? That's a great question. Um, I'm not really sure, you know. Um, I think the whole idea, like the, 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 the mediation and the communication and and uh, I think for my community, a lot of people are missing the opportunity to um, really cultivate those skill sets and understand how incredibly important they are. So is there anything to bring forward? I don't know, just more communication. I, I don't, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. I, 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 you know, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I don't have, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um. Did I hit a lot of the key points that you normally talk about when you do interviews? Um, you did. So, yeah, just to give you a little recap, like originally the organization was called Parental Alienation Anonymous. And we had a little bit of pushback from the organization because there was a, the 12-step meetings also called Parental Alienation Anonymous. And there was some confusion as to what was happening. So we changed the organizational note organizational name to parental alienation advocates and under that we have several doors because different people have different resources different needs and one of the doors is the 12-step meeting so we have 14 meetings a week online different leaders different secretaries all volunteer run and then we have the family disappeared podcast which is interviewing a lot of panels of parents and kids that come to meetings and also different professionals out in the world and it's a community-based event, so the platform is used to elevate people's voices that don't necessarily get, get an opportunity to be heard, and also to include everyone's perspective in the conversation. So it's been a real interesting, we're, we're pretty new, we're just, you know, maybe we're tape 22, 24 episodes. So that's mm -hmm. been wonderful, and we've been able to reach a lot of people outside of the country because this, this, this is everywhere. And then we have something else that's really neat, which is called the Family Hope Project which is an online education and advocacy platform. And we get submissions of art, dance, painting, sculpture, and people put a title to it and then they put a description and it's all anonymous. So I had one dad send me a, a picture of a boat that he was sitting on and the boat was sinking and he had just gotten out of court. And that's what he was feeling. And then he labeled it and put a description. So this is visceral stuff that, 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 that gets into your body. And then we're going to have all the education pieces and all the resource pieces, and it's going to be open source. So we're going to 
connect with all the organizations around the world doing this and share the platform that no one actually has centralized ownership that we're just using it as a platform to educate and advocate for people. And I will say that's another really important thing about our organization is everything's open source. So all the meeting scripts, all the literature, everything is online, free for anyone to take, to start meetings, to do whatever they want. There's no, again, centralization and control and commodification of any of the stuff. It's about helping people. And then lastly is all the foundational trainings where we have the nonviolent communication. We have like all different kind of meditation practices. We have resiliency practices, um, something out of a Yupaya, out of the Zen Center. Roshi Joan Halifax does something called grace training, which she does for professionals that are in really high conflict um, areas. We have um, Byron Katie's work, which is called The Work, which is fantastic. And uh, all kinds of holistic things that most people don't have access to, but I really have a really interesting plethora of people that I've been able to take trainings with and have so many people just jumping in to help and share their knowledge and, and help a family, which is really what it's about, you know, so. You're so right. What is your, um, what do you do for a living? <laughs> so in my previous life, I imported stone from all over the world, like granites and marbles and designed my own lines and had retail stores and, and did that. And, uh, this is the next iteration of my life is about service. So I'm, I'm running the organization. I'm building the organization. I don't get paid anything. And I'm just, just doing service work right now is, is what wow. my job is. So, wow. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. It's huge. And it's, it's interesting and complex and, and creative. And, and I got maybe, I, I gave myself five years to do this. I'm two and a half years in. And hope to have all the structure and the processes and everything in place because it's not in my best interest to be in this primary position for much longer than that. It's just, it takes too much, you know? Yeah. I'm very realistic about that too. Well, since you're not on your deathbed yet and you look like you have a few years ahead of you, at the end of the next two and a half years, are you going to go do you have an idea what you're going to do? I, I do. The next the next iteration, and we're actually working on this now, is, is documentaries. Uh, we're putting together ideas for Netflix series to actually to actually work with what's going on here. Reality share, series where we actually can track people's experiences. Because like on the podcast, we have maybe like 12 or 14 people that I'm building out, kind of like a Saturday night live crew where everyone can assimilate or you know, connect with different kind of personalities. And, and I think these stories need to be told because there's so much recovery and resilience and pain and celebration and, and so many colors of the rainbow that no one gets to see when they're challenged with not having access to their children, to their grandchildren, to family members, to their parents. So I, I really see that as an avenue and just like keep pushing the creative envelope on how we can create sustainable systemic change. So that's really moving from this organizational thing to systemic change to getting people on the streets protesting. You know, like a lot of my influences are folks that are doing social justice work. I spent like 10 years in the social justice community learning about my privilege and how I show up as a white man and breaking down those kind of constructs. So really getting feet on the ground like these other people have done over the last 407 years, 409 years. So we can actually have, again, sustainable, systemic change. 
that, that that's what the, I'd say after five years, I really hope we're at that place where we're able to start organizing on a grassroots level and I can move out of this position into the organizational grass grassroots position. I'd really like to do that. Amazing and wonderful. No, this is great. This is great. So we are almost at an hour and um, I, I certainly have learned a lot more in talking with you, but wonderful materials were sent to me, but um, I, I, I appreciate this. So I'm going to email you uh, for an actual recording date. You know, I could almost use this, to be honest with you, as the recording, don't you think? One million percent. I feel like our conversation has been rich and emergent and there's no script. I prefer using... You prefer the- this? Then done, because I have always wanted to do this. And you are the first confident person that will allow me to do this. I believe raw and natural is the way to go sometimes. And I've loved our conversation. So let's go back to this is the episode we will air. I'll do it next week. How can people, I mean, I'm going to do show notes and I'm going to have all of your contact information and your biography. But for those people who simply like to listen and write contact information down, best way to get in touch with you. Best way to get in touch with me is just going to be familydisappeared at gmail.com. Send me an email, ask a question. I'd love to respond. If I don't have information, I'll point you in a direction. And then organizationally, pa-a.org is our website. It'll have the podcast. It'll have the foundational trainings. It'll have access to all the meetings and anything else that's going on. And I'd say those two of them is probably the best and easiest ways to find out about us. And and we're here to serve. And uh, we want to grow. And then we'd love We'd love input and people to come along for the ride. Give your two points of contact information again, please, a second time. So again, to get hold of me directly, familydisappeared at gmail.com. And then the website is going to be pa-a.org. So that's P-A, the little slash A, dot org. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much, Lawrence. This was great. This was really excellent. And um, how do I get in touch how do i become part of that communication group because the communication piece is very interesting to me in my work um when we get the foundational stuff up and going i think i will include you in it and i think it'll be fascinating to incorporate your perspective and your communication within the context of how we can share with folks too because the lens is different than the nvc lens when you're actually the professional talking to the folks and you're in the, in the trenches in a different kind of way than, than we're experienced with, you know? Okay, perfect. I'll take you up on that. Thank you so much. Thank you. I will keep in the loop. I've loved the conversation and I, I'm going to send out an invite if you want to come join me and have a conversation and I'll pick up some nuances that we spoke about today to talk about on the Family Disappeared podcast and just kind of like play and it's all like for me it's all just emergent we see what happens and my takeaway from the day today is cats not kids like i'm like i might even get a tattoo i don't know what to do with that i love it oh my god i'm totally getting bumper stickers on this now i have to do something with it thank you for encouraging me i've been saying this for years because when people say to me judy do you have children 
cats, not kids. But there's still a valuable lesson in this. Plus, I'm an aunt of many, many and a great aunt of two. So, and I just visited my most favorite assistant on Saturday. We now live three blocks from each other. She had more children. So, um, uh, she took off, but we still remain friends. And she, uh, so I finally got to visit her six month old baby. I childproofed myself. I know how to childproof <laughs> myself to be with babies. So instead of earrings that are uh, pierced earrings that you could ruin me with, they were little clip-ons. So you could pull, it would be okay. If you pulled on my necklace, it would be okay. And so I was ready for the meet and greet. And we did just fine. I love that you childproofed yourself. That is very wise and creative and wonderful. <laughs> And it's so necessary if you want to visit again. If you if if you don't want to ha- hold a vendetta against the child, right, right. You must well. take matters into your own hands. So thank you so much, Lawrence. I really appreciate this, and thank all of you for listening. I hope you got something out of it, which I'm sure you did. So many people are in this boat, um, more than one would realize. You certainly can comment on the episode by going through Speaker Pipe on the episode page in my website, theamicabledivorceexpert.com. And the email address is there as well. But as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else.